Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. I'm, I'm here with my uh, friend Ralph Moore. We met uh, almost a year ago in Tampere in Finland uh, for a conference, and uh, by the grace of God, I got the a chance to sit with you in a car from Helsinki to Tampere, both back and forth. And we had some great talks and uh, what God has done in your life has inspired me greatly. And uh, I read your books, I listened to your podcast since then, so I, I feel that I have gotten to know you better over the years, even though we haven't met. But uh, for those of you who uh, out there who haven't heard about Ralph Moore, I would like to invite Ralph to come on the podcast and, and say a few words about who is Ralph Moore and uh, and uh, so they will have a sense of, of who you are as we start out. Well, for starters, I'm a very old man and don't feel it, but I'm, I've been around the block a lot and I like to always say that because uh, sometimes you talk about things that are maybe on the edge a little bit new ideas and and people think well you're young you don't know anything about this and so i i've I've been around and i started uh, pretty much ministry life when i was 19 years old i was a a volunteer youth pastor in church with four young boys and that group grew over seven years eventually i worked for the church i was paid by the church and then at age 25 my wife and i moved to another city and uh, americans use this word that we parachuted in. We didn't know anybody yeah. out of town and we started from scratch. And so I, I left literature on the doorsteps of 13,000 houses, I had no money, so we couldn't afford to mail it. I just went around house to house to house. Yeah. I found if I knocked, knocked on their door, they got mad at me. So I just would leave the literature. And um, it, it, the, the church grew, uh, we ended up moving to a larger building. Uh, by the time I left in 12 years, I was the 30th person to go plant the church out of the church that I had planted. So very early, we began making disciples. That was what we were always all about. And um, almost by accident, we started one church. And then from there, the denomination we were part of, whenever they had a, a church that was dead, which usually meant an empty yeah. building or a near empty building. They'd call us up and go, do you have anybody that could lead wow. this church? But we made disciples. So we, we, we weren't thinking we're, we're creating pastors. We're just making disciples. And, and so we began planting churches. And then I moved to Hawaii in uh, 1983. And we, we planted uh, 60 some odd churches in the state. But what has really happened is that around the world now, there's a, a little over 2,400 churches that have come out of that original congregation uh, through some very, very simple means of just making yeah. disciples and and, um, and and teaching people to do what we always called friendship evangelism. You, you make friends with somebody, and then slowly they begin to follow you as you follow Jesus, and, and then you start discipling them. So it's, it's been quite a, a wild ride. Uh, yeah. I, I do have some credentials. I've done quite a bit. But um, pretty simple. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. And uh, <laughs> uh, 
also a bit amusing too. But it, is, it it does you you make it seem very simple. Uh, for those of you who want to read a full story, I w- I like to recommend your book Let It Let Go of the Ring because that is a very compelling, inspiring narrative. But in your generation, and uh, I have to say, I, I would have never guessed that you were 74 when we met you. There's something very youthful about you. But uh, uh, in your generation, your choice how to pursue church ministry was quite rare uh, in some senses, that uh, a lot of the pastors in your day went uh, for big buildings, programs, and things like that. And at the time, what you were doing would probably not have maybe seen that... Uh, well, I don't know how it would have been seen, but maybe not. That's, that, was, that wasn't the way the current was going. What made you focus on discipleship and, and church planting, uh, like uh, being a bit counterculture, really, even in Christian culture at the time? Well, it, was, it really was counterculture. I mean, we started out during the days, the hippie days, so we were a counterculture church that way. But, um, and people mocked us. Our church was called Hope Chapel. Uh, we were reaching yeah. a lot of people who were struggling with drugs and whatever, and, so the, the neighboring churches mocked us. They would call us Dope Chapel and Hippity Hoppity Hope. They had all these names for us. But uh, very quickly, we outgrew them. We actually became a very large church. Yeah. Uh, a couple thousand people, maybe 3,000 in, atten- in, in membership, but 2,000 in attendance. But our goal was never to become large. Our goal was always to make disciples who made disciples who made disciples and then plant churches along the way. And so as a very young Person while I was still in a Bible college, I was influenced by a man named Jim Montgomery wrote a book called New Testament Fire in the Philippines. And if somebody is willing to look for it, you can find that book for free on the internet. Montgomery has oh, wow. died now, but the, the book is out there. And it's the story of a, of a man named Don McGregor who was in the Philippine Islands following a, a female missionary evangelist. And this lady had had these massive meetings and thousands of people were healed the spirit moved in strong ways and then they took her back to america and he showed up and he's not the kind of person she is at all he's a disciple maker and he's running a bible college and pretty soon some people in the bible college it would be like this one man out of a three-year college goes for two years and then his mother gets sick so he has to return home and he begins to make disciples and Pretty soon there's a little group that's formed. Well, this man, Don McGregor, had the wisdom to call that little group a church and call that guy a pastor, although he had not been, he had not graduated from any institution. Well, that's fine. But then some guy in his church ends up moving to another island because of a job change. And he does the same thing where most people in America at that time would have just said, no, that is not a church. It's a Bible study. It's a whatever. McGregor said, no, it's a church. Well, they began to multiply churches, and they were having, this is back in the 1960s, they were experiencing 56,000 people a year coming to know Jesus in in a denomination that had only two American missionaries in the whole country, while no other denomination at the same time in the Philippines, American denomination, was showing any growth at all. So, compares zero to 56,000 people a year coming to know yeah. Jesus. Well, I, that book really grabbed my attention. I was a young boy when I read that book. I later on met the man who came to our church, and uh, he asked me, he's a funny guy, he makes jokes, and 
puts his arm around me. He's a big guy. Puts his arm around my shoulder before church and says, uh, "Do you want to do? I have to ask you a question. Do you want to do something great for God?" He said it like yeah. that. And I said, "Yeah, I do." And he goes, "What?" And I go, "I want to build the biggest church I can build." And I, so I believe in disciple making. I read his life story, yeah, but yeah. I want to build a big church. So he asked me the same question three times, and the second two times he would yank my ear as he'd ask me a question. <laughs> and he's just a real jokester. The third yeah. time. He kicked me in the leg, and it made it made me bleed. He kicked me so hard. Oh wow! And he laughed at me. And he said, "You don't understand it. If you want to do something great for God, you make disciples who make disciples to the fourth generation." Well, that got my attention, and that's what we've been doing ever since. And you know, we estimate there's just under a quarter of a million people attending church every weekend in in around the world, because. We started with 12 people and, and just got intent on making disciples. We'd make disciples and, of course, organizing it. And you have to organize congregations and, and organize within a church and all that. So our focus has never been on large numbers. But in yeah. the end, apparently the largest congregation in the United States is a man named Joel Osteen in Texas. Yeah, yeah. 40,000 people that meet in an arena. Well, we're touching six times that many people every weekend around the world, and I've never pastored a church of more than 2,000 people. I've done it twice, but never that, that huge. It's never been it's never been our issue. Yeah. That's very interesting, and uh, uh, there's so many directions to go into, but one of the things uh, I, I've been delving into your your book this last week and one of the things that struck me is this sense that on one hand uh, there's a lot of uh, intentional activity going on but uh, on the other hand you sense that there's a a presence of the holy spirit uh, hovering over that and uh, which isn't surprising because jesus asked us to make disciples so it makes sense that the holy spirit would uh, that is something that uh, has struck me with thinking about your life and ministry that there's been a cooperation with the Spirit. Uh, I think in your book you says that uh, if we trusted uh, uh, the conjunction of disciple-making and the oversight of the Holy Spirit as much as they did, referring to the New Testament, we would see different results. And and in a way I sense that uh, uh, you have discovered something of that. Uh, and I'd like to hear a bit about your, your thoughts because there's a lot of focus on disciple-making which bec- becomes quite technical and so on. And, and and the life of the Spirit that just does the unexpected and which has propelled you into a movement of 2,400 churches seems to be something quite particular with uh, what God has done through your life. So any thoughts around that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts around that. And, and let me warn you first, I tend to oversimplify these things. It's yeah. a little more complicated, not a lot more complicated, but a little yeah. more complicated. And I'll try to get into that. But we, we started out... Uh, I was very much influenced by a, a group called the Navigators, and yeah. they are they're into memorizing scripture and very intellectual study of the Bible, and it's very healthy. Uh, as a, as we started the first church, when it was just a handful of people, of the principal leaders that were there, four principal leaders, including myself, three of us were had a Navigator background, and so we we came to a point. This is when we did church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yeah. Sunday morning was worship service. Sunday night was evangelism service. And Wednesday night was prayer meeting. Yeah. And a few years in, we began to realize that the real power in your church was happening in these kind of pop-up home Bible studies that were just going on during what we called the Jesus movement. And then as the revival died down, those Bible studies died down. 
and we still had this institutional church and, and we were frustrated. We'd grown, we'd moved to a new building, we'd doubled in attendance and then we began to shrink because yeah. we were a church of strangers. And so we thought, well, let's get people together on the midweek. We'll kill the prayer meeting. We'll meet in homes and we will uh, talk about the Sunday sermon because we'd heard that mm. you get people to repeat something within seven days of hearing that. I remember twice as much. So this is still very technical, very intellectual. We'd get all the leaders together of these small groups on a Sunday evening, and we'd, we'd concoct questions to ask the, the group. These questions were always very intellectual, and we weren't getting very far. And then we, we somehow in prayer, somebody came up with this idea of let's just ask three questions. And now here's where I oversimplify. Yeah. You just hear me say, ask these three questions. You don't really get it. These three questions lead you down many different pathways. So yeah. the, the questions are, first, what did the Holy Spirit say to you? We ask each person. The first thing that we do is we ask everybody to give us two words that you can remember from the Sunday sermon. So the Sunday sermon is the anchor. I'm a Bible yeah. teacher. I go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and try to make it fun while I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. Tell a lot of stories. So just give us two words that you remember. So maybe it's a, two words about a story, maybe two words, a quote from the Bible, but all we wanted them to do is just get it in their mind. And then and usually as a leader, I will start and we just go around the ring and everybody talks. The first question is, what did the Holy Spirit say to you while the pastor was speaking? Which may be a little different than what the pastor was saying. The Holy Spirit sometimes is saying yeah, yeah. different things. And I think and, like have listen to the same sermon like that's, that's right. <laughs> and so we, what we were interested yeah. in isn't the pastor. We're interested in the spirit and and you know, because sometimes the spirit is inspiring mm. all kinds of creativity and opportunities in people's workplace or maybe he's calling them to another country or maybe he's just telling them that they need to be a better husband to their wife. But Whatever yeah. it is, we want to hear this from what's the Spirit speaking to your heart. And some people are going to say, well, I don't, I don't know how to hear God. And that, that opens the door to a whole other conversation. And yeah. if, if need be, in this kind of a setting, if someone has an issue that's pretty important, we'll drop the whole rest of the evening and focus on that person and their needs. Yeah. But the second question that we ask uh, brings accountability. So the first one has to do with usually the scripture. So it's called the the word and the spirit. Second question is, what are you going to do about it? And as soon as you announce what you're going to do, you're yeah. accountable to your own words. And then the third question is, how can we help you or pray for you? And at this wow. point, uh, spiritual gifts begin to emerge. Without us doing those, we never did those spiritual gift surveys, you know, yeah. assessments, all that. We, we just, we live together as families and, you know, we're pseudo families, but yeah. Because of the relational aspect of this, we didn't use a lot of assessment tools and things like that. We would find that you, you pretty quickly understand who's got a gift of giving because they're generous or mm -hmm. who has a gift of serving because they're going to come over and help you with your problem at your house or who has a gift of encouragement or compassion. And so, uh, again, like I said, this, this isn't something that you answer in 30 seconds. This is no. something where... We're listening to each other's hearts and, you know, we'll, there'll be six or eight of us and we spend an hour and a half together. So there's a lot of ministry that takes place. And then as a result of this, we've equipped people in a couple of ways. For one, 
they, they're, they're learning the scripture. They're learning the power of God. Two, they're learning to hear from the Spirit. Three, they're learning to help other people by helping each other. And so we believe that inside of our this little microcosm of a micro church inside of a larger church, what people are, are doing is they're learning to exercise faith and spiritual gifts so that when they're in the, in the workplace and they're talking to somebody who's a non-believer, whose wife just told them that they want a divorce, they've got a boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. Now this person is better equipped to begin to share and speak with that person or pray with that person. And so mm-hmm. we see evangelism as kind of a natural process where you, you make friends with people. In fact, we call it friendship evangelism. But then you sort of, before they're a Christian, you begin discipling them toward Jesus. It's kind of what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so rather than make a big formal thing out of it, uh, it's very relational. Everything is relationship-based. Yeah, that's wonderful. It makes me think of so many things. One of the thoughts we have taught a lot about is that uh, there's something about Jesus that's very attractive and it sounds like in all simplistic process makes you be more transformed in, into representing him in ways you don't even know and, and that attracts people. Um, there's so many things we could go into but one of the things I want to sort of come back to that uh, when uh, you started doing design and church planting you were sort of the the outlier uh, and uh, a friend of mine Lisa Will that we had here for our conference disciple um, really spoke that there's a sort of a renaissance going on in the body of Christ in the Western world not not in all places but uh, uh, would it be fair to say that uh, what you did uh, 30 40 years ago is something that's increasingly happening as, as certainly across the Western world but uh, from your position, Ralph, you work with exponential and uh, and you you work with the top multiplication people uh, in America. What are you seeing God do in terms of uh, helping people rediscover church? Well, let's talk for a minute about exponential. If people are interested, they can go to exponential.org. Yeah. And there's a couple of books I've written there. There's over 100 free books that they give away. They're all electronic books. Yeah. And they do big conferences. They're doing a conference in, they were planning one in Europe. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the COVID. Yeah, the Ber- Berlin one. I have that in my calendar. And I do hope it will happen, but we'll see. But um, uh, Exponential uh, came into existence about 11 years ago. And at that time, they had discovered that only 4% of churches in the United States had ever reproduced themselves by planting another church. And that includes uh, church splits, and there's a lot of church splits going on in the United uh, States. It's so, Protestant heritage. Yeah. And, and so this whole thing was um, the, the focus of the American church is how to be big. Everybody yeah. wanted to be big, Bill Hybels or Rick Warren or Craig Groeschel, one of those big church pastors. That was the goal. And so Exponential began to think if we could change the scorecard so that we weren't looking at how many people we'd get in a building, but how many people we could actually affect in a lifetime, then we could change the face of church in America. And so at the same time this is going on, the American church is shrinking. So we've got these big, big churches. Oftentimes they've grown by people uh, transferring from small churches, and small churches are dying. And yeah. so 40 years now of megachurch in America, 40 years ago a church of a 1,000, was considered huge. Now it would be in Finland still. Uh, yeah. Churches are twenty thousand all over the place. So, 
um, about 6% of churches in the United States have more than 2,000 members. That's considered a megachurch. So twice I've pastored the yeah. smallest megachurch. And yeah. um, so Exponential uh, begin to look at churches at four levels. Level one is a church that's shrinking. Level two is a church that's holding its own, maybe paying the bills, uh, and no, no growth, but no shrinkage, everybody's happy. Level three is a church that's adding new members, what we typically think of as a single congregation growing. And in America, that had become addition for addition's sake. I want to be bigger so my books get published. I want to be bigger so that I'm famous, those kinds of sad things. Level four is a church that reproduces itself. In other words, we make clones of ourselves. We may start four or five churches, or what I call level three and a half yeah. in America, they call multi-site, where a pastor preaches in one location, and it's shown on video in another location at the same time. And um, so reproduction would be we build a church, a few churches just like us. Then the idea of multiplication, this would be level five, yeah. It's a church that produces churches that produce churches that produce churches. And all of the churches that they, the daughter churches, the, the church plants, are at least semi-autonomous. So they have the ability to identify their own elders, and they have the ability to train their people as they will, and they have the ability to reproduce when and, and how they want to, rather than the, the mother church somehow controlling them in that process. And so... They went looking for uh, level five churches. They said, we're going to find 10 level yeah. five churches in America. And all they found was us. Uh, yeah. we, we were the only group that they, that they said would qualify for that. So that's how I got involved. Uh, shortly before I retired from active pastoring, I got involved with Exponential. Now I get to coach guys in how to do this. Well, but the very good news is that just this year, uh, last year, 2019, someone did a survey and they've discovered that now 7% of churches in the United States have reproduced intentionally. And wow. so we still don't have a lot of level five, but we're beginning to get level four. And sociologists are telling us that if we can get to 16% of any group uh, doing any new behavior, that behavior becomes normative so we yeah. never did have uh, even 16 percent of churches in america as mega churches but it had become normative everybody wants to be a mega church if yeah. we can get to 16 percent of churches having reproduced then everybody will want to reproduce and so we believe that that there's a spiritual awakening that's coming our way if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net